Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. I was recently interviewed by Breitbart News, by Josh Kaplan, on the epidemic, on the fight for America, on the war that we are all involved with. And it appeared on Breitbart.com. The interview was recorded, and I'm very, very pleased to offer to you right now, free of charge, that interview right here on the Savage Podcast. Let's listen. We are less than 60 days away from the election. Okay. Um, we, we see we see both Biden and Trump. They've completed their conventions. We don't know exactly where we are in the polling. Some polls show Biden is up nationally. Others show that Trump is gaining ground on him. How do you feel about Trump's chances right now with less than 60 days away? Well, I can only answer it from this perspective, uh, from a kind of rationalistic scientific perspective. My knowledge of people on the right and or conservatives is they don't answer polls. So we have no idea really where they stand on, on this issue. As far as Trump moving up, I think the violence in America, which is out of control, which is a clear revolution. This is a communist revolution. And Trump is running as a law and order candidate. Now I've been complaining on my show that if you are do something about it, stop telling us you're going to do it after you win, do it now. Right. I mean, that's what I've been saying, Josh. I'm not, I don't want to wait till after November for him to crack down on these assholes, these right. idiots, right. these communist revolutionaries. They're not idiots. They're very well organized and well funded. Well, he did. He deputized and federalized the Oregon State Troopers and the, I believe, the uh, Portland, Portland police. And they shot one of the murderers the other day, which is a step towards controlling them. So what I'm saying is I think that the, the riots and the mayhem that do not stop from this fraudulent group, Black Lives Matter, we all know that they're a revolutionary Marxist, anti-Semitic organization, anti-capitalist. Uh, these riots are working in Trump's favor. Biden has so far said nothing. What has the hologram in the basement said about the riots? Nothing. He hasn't taken a position on it, except as a Johnny come lately saying it'll be quieter when he's president. Well, how? Why, they're suddenly going to go home, get a haircut and take a job in Starbucks after they, after they burn the store to the ground? What are they going to do? So I think it's moving towards, towards Trump. I, I do think that he's on the cold. So what's the answer? We don't have an answer. If we had an answer, you wouldn't be asking the question, right? None of us really know. Understood. Um, now, you brought up a very interesting point about how, as you've been saying on your show, that you would like to see the president being more proactive on cracking down on the lawlessness in the streets. The sense is, is that the riots appear to be helping him because he is viewed as uh, the candidate that would be that is better equipped and is better positioned to crack down on them. 
But do you fear at all that if things get worse between now and the election, the attempt to brand the riots as sort of the Biden riots could backfire? Well, it's a tricky situation because I've also said on my show, and I have to be consistent with what I've stated to my audience, that I think the Republicans have made a calculation to keep the riots going because they know it's working in their favor. I know how cynical that sounds, but we know what politicians are. I mean, there are no white hats here in some ways. Okay. There's a better choice, which is Trump for all the obvious reasons, but there's no pure white hats here. I mean, both parties are cynical as they are in every country about power and, uh, and, and, and such. So will it backfire? Yeah, I think, I think that this has to stop. Frankly, the problem is, as I've said also two months ago, if Trump cracks down too hard, he'll fall right into the sand trap that they've laid for him, and they will call him a a fascist and say, see, we told you he's a Nazi. Mm -hmm. So he can't go full um, military, even though it's been done since Eisenhower's time to stop insurrection. This is out of control, Josh. This is not one night. This is, what, 90 nights in a row in Portland? They chased the mayor, the left-wing mayor, out of his own a condominium. Right. He had to flee his own apartment. He thought that he could keep feeding the beast, and the beast would say thank you. He hasn't. The left-wingers haven't learned that you cannot feed violent people. Right. So the question is, who will this? I think you're asking me, will the violence work against Trump? Yes. Is that what you're saying? If it keeps exactly, because exactly because the consensus is. Let, as you said, let the thing, let it go, because it's just going to make Biden look worse and worse. That seems to be the consensus. You're not a consensus thinker. You look at things from a different perspective. So that's why I'm asking this tricky question. You think that it could actually backfire because no one, I don't see anybody asking that. I don't see anybody warning Trump, maybe not let the riots go on too much and crack down too hard because it could actually backfire. I know people who are fed up with both parties now. They don't know who to believe. They don't know who, who, who's who to trust. They think both parties are, are responsible for this. And they have no faith in the political system at all, to be frank with you, Josh. As I say, they don't trust either party. So who knows how people are going to vote at the end of the day? Looting, burning, beating people up, the random beatings of people in the streets of New York by, quote, teens. Right. Teens, always the word teens, don't you love it? Right. The new, the new word, teens. teens. Well, in, yeah. in, in, in England, they use Asian youths. Youths. <laughs> that makes them sacred, huh? Right. The sacred cow. Look, I, I want to say one thing right off the bat. I don't believe in sacred cows, whether they're animal or human. Let me put it that way. <laughs> I thought about that the other day. I thought, of, what's the right way to answer this? I said, I do not believe in sacred cows, animal or human. It's a pun, of course. But it also is true. There are no sacred cows in this this game here. You saw who they arrested in New York. It was in the New York Post this morning. The spoiled brat from a wealthy family on the Upper East Side. The father's a psychiatrist and the mother's an architect. Comes from her house and she was wearing black clothes and she got caught smashing in the windows of Starbucks. She was in these riots when she's 14 years old. 
Right. So, and and John John Malkovich's son was reportedly were arrested last, uh, in the Portland riots. Right. So these are spoiled children who've never been told, stop it. No, you can't do that. Everything they have done, the parents said, good job, Johnny. Mm-hmm. Good job, Janie. You did such a good job. Right. Never have they been told you can't do this or you can't do that or there are limits to their mm-hmm. to their activities. It's always been indulgence. Okay. And what we're seeing is an entire generation of indulged millennials who have no school, no work, nothing to do, and they think it's a party. This has become a big, like a rave to them. Get dressed up at night, put on a Halloween costume, go break windows, right? Probably have sex, drugs with the other rioters, get to attack police, and the police can't do anything back to you. Watch fun. Aren't they having fun? Doc, you touched on something very interesting. You're saying that the protests have, because of the lockdowns and the virus, if I'm understanding you correctly, um, that the the protests have taken over from going to clubbing or going to bars or going to events (laughs) because of the virus and everything is shut down. So So they used to go to the bar or the club, and now they're going and smashing windows on Fifth Avenue. I mean, look at the fun they're having. (laughs) <laughs> right. And they're getting merit badges in the uh, in, in, in the Girl Scout, uh, on their Girl Scout uniform, merit badges for spitting at cops, breaking windows. And then they, they get stoned probably on the way there. They get stoned during the riots. Then they probably have rampant sexuality with each other. What could be better? This is like an outdoor uh, party. Right. It's like a Mardi Gras. It's 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 uh, exactly it's it's Mardi Gras every night. Doc, I want to uh, shift a little bit. I know that uh, you know talking about the 2020 election, so much that you know you're you're not just a political being. There's so many things. One one of the things that struck me in your show over the past six months was very early on. You were, you know found yourself once again in this sort of Paul Revere position where you were sounding the alarm about the virus. Oh. And there were, there were people around uh, the president who were saying things will say that were uh, the polar opposite of what you were saying. Um, tell me about why you had a different perspective on the virus, why you were, why you think you were one of the earliest to, to realize that this was going to be a potential catastrophe. And on top of that, do you remember a moment, a news story? Maybe you were talking to somebody. Maybe you were reading an academic journal. What was the moment, Dr. Savage, where it shifted in your mind and you said, holy smokes, this is actually a huge problem? Well, let me start with now. The latest CDC data, which has been buried says, no, not 180,000 have died, but only 8,000 have died from COVID per se. All the other deaths were due to related illnesses, underlying conditions. I'm sure you saw that, right? Mm-hmm. So having said that, does that diminish the lethality of this virus? The answer is no. For vulnerable people, it's still a very lethal uh, virus. So it's changed somewhat in all of our minds. You know, As the evidence is poured in and the data has come in, Then you have this terrible situation now of doctors, hospitals rather, reassigning deaths to COVID because they collect more money. 
either from insurance or the federal government on reimbursements than saying, let's say they died of, of uh, let's say, an old age-related problem. If they say COVID, the amount of money they get in reimbursement is much higher. So there's been a complete distortion of, <clears throat> of COVID deaths mm-hmm. due to that. But let's go back to the beginning. I took it very seriously because I saw, as I was looking at it, you're talking about February now. I remember right. distinctly. We were seeing healthy young guys in their 20s who were dying. I didn't understand why. Well, all right, looking back, maybe they had an underlying autoimmune or an immune deficiency disease. We don't know, but it, it was capable of killing with the underlying disease. So let's not forget that. <clears throat> then you had people getting really, really sick. So the world panicked, and we got into lockdown because the politicians made a mistake based upon Dr. Fraudy, Dr. 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 Fugazi. Dr. Fugazi is like like a a zombie bad guy. He is a power-mad career bureaucrat, Fauci. A career-mad, a power-mad career bureaucrat who survived over 40 years in the NIH. What does that tell us about this guy? He's a politician, not a scientist at all. Yeah, scientist. What does that mean? He sits with a test tube somewhere and he looks up at the stars? Scientist. He can read the data like I can read the data. Okay, so it doesn't make him a scientist. He's a politician who has used politics to maintain his power. I'm on an interview right now. Could you hold on one minute, Josh? Sure, sure. I love seeing you. You'll be around at your daughter's party later. I'm going to go out on the boat. You may not be there. I'm saying at your house. What time are you leaving tomorrow? In the morning? Can I call you? Why don't I give you a ring about five, say hello. Okay. Nice to see you. You're looking great. So, Josh, sorry about that. I was just out of my front and a neighbor came by. I haven't seen him in a long time. So anyway, so how did I know? Well, first of all, I'm a trained epidemiologist. I studied epidemics. But, you know, the other day, Josh, which just jumped to now, I keep referring to a scientific paper that I've carried with me since 1970. It's funny how you, you hold on to certain publications. And this little monograph, an obscure monograph that no one ever heard of, I carried with me now for I don't know, how many years of this, 40 years, more? And it was called Sorcery, Illness, and Social Control in the Philippine Village. Wow. And it was all about how uh, <clears throat> witch doctors or folk healers used illness to control the populations in villages through fear. And I referenced that on my show um, just on Friday, I think, Sorcery, Illness, and Social Control in the Philippine Village. I said, guys like... Fauci, um, Dr. Bricks or Burtz, they're sorcerers. They're not scientists. They're using sorcery. When you hear women like Nancy Pelosi saying, science tells us, that woman doesn't know what science is. She's a sorceress. They're referring to sorcery, not science. The science is much different than the sorcery. And I think that's very important to know. What do you mean science? What does science mean? Science is a method of approaching the truth. And the way it works, as children know from the seventh grade on, 
is through experimentation. And the one definition of science that holds is a, 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 that a statement is potentially disprovable. That's the best definition of science I've ever seen, meaning you could subject it to experimental norms, right? Mm-hmm. A statement is potentially disprovable. That is what the method of science is. In other words, if I give you an opinion, it's not potentially disprovable. It's just an opinion, right? Right. Politics is fundamentally all opinion, isn't it? Yes. It's not political science. We know that's hogwash. So opinion is one thing. You can't potentially disprove an opinion. It's just an opinion. And all of politics is opinion, by and large. Okay, Mm -hmm. so science is something different. It's a method, scientific method. It's not about politics. It's not about opinion. It's a scientific method. So if you're saying COVID has has killed 180,000 people, which is the Democrat Party line, I can potentially disprove that. And it was just disproved by CDC data, which said after extensive analysis, only 8,000 died of COVID per se. All the others died from secondary illnesses that were underlying, okay? So there's an example. But you haven't seen the politicians catch up with the science. You're not even hearing the Republicans say that. What? What you're just saying. You're saying the politicians have not even... The, the, the politicians have not come, uh, caught up with the CDC data. Of course, the Democrats... No, they haven't. They're still doing the same thing, most of them. R- right. Them. Yeah. And they don't look the at the evidence. Democrats they don't look at the evidence. They look at polls. The Josh, p- politicians don't look at evidence. They look at polls. <laughs> right? So to them, a poll is, 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 is uh, the holy grail. But we all know polls are flawed. Right. So what are they looking at? They're looking at... Who knows? A poll is potentially disproven. A poll is potentially disproven. If you see a poll says Biden's ahead by eight points, I could run another poll which says he's behind by eight points. Mm-hmm. I can top load it with a question or ask different people. Instead of registered voters, I can say adults by telephone, right? We all know right. what polls are. What, polls can produce the answer you want. So, again, polls are not scientific, by and large. They may right. believe they are, you know. Plus or minus three point bull crap. Come on. So, okay. So that's the difference between opinion and science. So coming back to your question now, how did I come to conclude that this is a deadly illness? Because I yes. saw, I saw well, people. Yeah. Die. What was that moment like? We said that light bulb went off, and you said you just had a just a psychological shift, and you said, "Okay." I really got to start sounding the alarm on this. Well, first of all, I started getting reports from emergency room doctors. I mean, I remember one in, in, uh, was sent to me from an emergency room doctor in in New Orleans. Mm. And he was talking about people getting catastrophically sick and dying coming in the ER room. He was overwhelmed in the beginning. And he didn't know what the hell to do about it. A lot of ER doctors were reporting being overwhelmed in the beginning, which is why the lockdowns occurred. It wasn't that the... See, I don't think the politicians were initially cynical and they did this strictly to hurt Trump. That's bullshit. They didn't do all this to hurt Trump initially. There was a great panic in the land and then in the, in the world that this was sort of the new, the new plague, that you got bitten by, the, by the, the, um, the, the flea and you died, right? The, <clears throat> in, in other words, it's not a flea, but you know, I'm saying using the flea as a metaphor. Sure, sure. You got the virus, and it was fatal. That was the fear. And everyone became total paranoid. The gloves, the masks, 
the shoes, the, the obsessive hand washing. Okay, so that's, that's where most people are today in the world. Obsessive, compulsive, frightened individuals fearing that this is a lethal illness that if you even contact it, you're not going to just get over it. You're going you're gonna to die. This is right. where we are today. And nothing, nothing will convince them to, to the contrary. So you see idiots running with masks on. You see idiots bicycling with masks on. I don't know how they don't get a stroke. Who can breathe through those things? Yeah. So we're now living through a total mass hysteria, which is interesting because the title of a book, my last one before this one, was called Stop Mass Hysteria. And I went back to the Salem Witch Trials. Mass hysteria. America's insanity. From the Salem Witch Trials to the Trump Witch Hunt. That was, you know, published a year, a year or so ago, more than a year ago. And uh, we're living through a mass hysteria, a worldwide mass hysteria, by the way. Right. And, and so, so you just mentioned your a previous book. I have a question about your current book that's coming out very, uh, very shortly. Trump's fight for America, the battle continues. Doc, every time you write a book, you say, I'm never doing another one, and then you do it again, and you write another awesome book. I love, I love the fact that you don't let your audience down, and you keep going and going and going. This particular book, I think, is really important because it contextualizes the past four years. People have been, in my opinion, so discombobulated, and it's like the Clive Gibbon thing. It's just, there's so much going on and from the description of the book you're trying to make sense of this all for people. So you're looking in the past to try to make predictions for, 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 for the future. So was that your, was that the genesis for the book? Why did you write the book? And I know it's hard to, you know, deduce it down to one thing, but why did you need to write this? Why, why did you need to write this book? Why do people need to run to the bookstores or, or, or go online and order this book and get it the day it comes out? Well, I don't want to be, you know, supercilious about my own publication, but I really feel this will be my last political book for a number of reasons. I think my radio career is coming to an end. Um, and I think that the nation that we know has come to an end. And I believe that this book, which I planned, I don't know when it started, I don't know, Gee, I've been writing it probably since December. Then I had a heart attack in December. I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm recovering. Yeah. Outside for America, the war continues. But the first chapter is, to answer your question in, in another way, is the first chapter is called The Twin Plagues, COVIDism and Communism. But think about that, Josh. COVIDism, which is actually a new phrase, and communism. And I combined the two together because the COVIDism has brought in pure socialism and is leading through the riots to communism if we don't if we don't stop this you know there's mild communism and there's virile virulently evil communism so I think it's my last ditch effort to sway the election towards Trump in plain English without mincing words mm-hmm as flawed a man as he is and as imperfect a man as he is and what man is not flawed and imperfect. He's all we've got between us and the deluge. You know, the old phrase, après moi, le deluge. Right. Right. That's what I'm talking about, Josh. 
You know and I know Biden is not the candidate. Biden is the Manchurian candidate. Exactly. He is the front man. All we have to do is look at who he picked for the VP. She is the most corrupt of all of them. Mm-hmm. The others were, some of them were more virulently leftist, but they couldn't have been as more corrupt than her. Remember who she is. It's not about Biden. It's about who will be president within three to six months, which I've been saying for at least four months, five months. Now everyone's saying it. The real candidate is not Biden. It's Kamala Harris, who is a product of the most corrupt political system in the entire country. That would be the Getty-Pelosi complex. The Getty-Pelosi complex, which has destroyed the state of California. Wow. I had not heard that, 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 Doc, you're going to see that in a few, in a few months, they're going to be using that, the Getty Pelosi. <laughs> well, Getty is behind Pelosi. Getty is behind uh, Newsom. Uh, Pelosi is, is Newsom's aunt. It's all one, you know, one big happy family. That no, but it's fascinating because everyone thinks that Pelosi's power comes from the father who was a politician, but he wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a big leading fan. I think he was either mayor of Baltimore or something like that. Right. He was, a, he was a, at the time, probably a moderate Democrat. Right. And a, he, a, yeah. Let's say he was a party machine Democrat, just like exactly. all of them. Yeah. But yeah. he wasn't as fanatical as this woman. This woman is a fanatical, crazy woman. So she really isn't the power. She's part of the power structure that runs the state. And a very important part of it. We don't have to go into um, blower gate right now or right, air gate. Right. But I, she's trying to, you know, met her match with that one. Her arrogance, you know, from let them eat cake to let them get a hair, hairdo. You know, I mean, even the local news turned on her. I turned it on Friday. They were all turning against her and running the poor women who she's attacking. But having said that, it's the, um, the getting money that's behind all of it, so far as I can tell. If they were benign, if they had done a good job in the state, I wouldn't care. I understand how politics works. It's always money, right? Sure. But they're not benign, and they're not good managers. They've destroyed this state. Long before COVID, the state was already running into a stone wall. Remember the uh, Jerry Brown Railroad, the train to nowhere? Right. Remember that? Where did that money go? There's so many things that were being done just for pure, unadulterated greed. Mm -hmm. So then chapter two of the book, Our Fight for America, also answers the question. It's called The Virus Profiteers. Think about that. The Virus Profiteers. Fortunes are being made on this public health disaster. And the book ends with the chapter staring into the abyss, which is where we are right now staring into the abyss. Aren't we all staring into the abyss? We don't know where this is going to go. We may, in our hearts, we think it's all going to work out because that's how we are as humans. We have to believe things will be okay, right? Mm -hmm. From the French Revolution to the American leftist revolution, from climate hysteria to racial hysteria, that's the last chapter. And it says, America is on the precipice of an abyss. We are staring into a self-made oblivion where everything that has previously defined the greatest nation in human history is erased. Rather than fighting with our last breath to avoid it, we are running headlong into the chasm, like lemmings stampeding over a cliff. One last line, Josh. As Dostoevsky wrote, 
quote, when I fall into the abyss, I go straight into it, head down and heels up. And I'm even pleased that I'm falling in just such a humiliating position. And for me, I find it beautiful, unquote. I don't find it beautiful. Not at all. But we're going to relive the nightmare so many hundreds of millions of people have lived through around the world after capitalism was erased and after the radicals took over their country. I remember the Red Guards toppling statues in America. Remember the Red Guards? The used toppling statues? Remember them renaming universities? All of the landmarks? This is how the communists operate in every country they take over. They erase the culture and they replace the culture. And so when no one stopped them from knocking down Confederate war statues, except a few voices, say, hey, what do I care? I didn't fight in the Civil War. It doesn't mean anything to me. Okay, but when they came for the Confederate statues, you said nothing because you weren't a Southerner, right? Then when they came for George Washington's statue, you said nothing because it's only a statue. But then when they beat up your grandmother in the streets of New York as she went shopping, the, the packs of wild teens... There was no one there to help her. That's what we're living through right now. It's an outright communist revolution, Josh. Do you, do you think, Dr. Savage, that if Trump wins re-election, the rioting and violence that we see now is going to be incomparable to the destruction and chaos if Trump wins? Personally, yes, 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 100%. Because it words, feels like we're staring into another abyss. Josh, that, listen, there's no winner here. There's no, no real winner here because everyone thinks that magically if Biden wins, he's going he's gonna, to you know, give a hand signal and all of these violent uh, BLM Marxists are going to go home. They're not going to go home. Where are they going to go? This is their livelihood, destroying things. So I don't see a winner here. I don't see how it, how it, how it wins. The only thing here is that if Trump wins and the violence increases, he will then have to crack down using the military. I, I do you, do something more pointed. Do you think that if Trump wins re-election, that there could be a potential civil war outbreak because of the temperature being so hot right now and the Democrats laying down the tracks of trying to delegitimize the election. Kamala Harris saying today Russia could intervene and Biden could lose. You've got the transition project with with Podesta war gaming out what happens if Trump doesn't concede. You've got a a Bloomberg. um, You've got a Bloomberg lieutenant from Hawkfish, which is his secret tech organization going on Axios the other day and said Trump's going to win by a mile on Election Day. And then Biden's going to win a week later with the mail in voting. I so that. It's a, I'm asking a very heated question, so I, I respect it if you want to maybe, you know, but could we potentially see something Civil War-esque if Trump wins because the temperature is so hot? A lot of people fear that, and they figure even though I hate Biden and Kamala Harris, they can talk to the rioters and tone it down. I don't believe that's true. I think that the rioters are now an entity unto themselves. Look at what they just did to Ted Wheeler. The, the far left mayor of Portland, they turned on him. They turned on the far left governor of Oregon. These anarchists, communists, Marxists are a machine that can only be stopped through violence. So, no, I don't think that there's going to be a magical stoppage. Um, now, remember, in 2014, I published a book called Stop the Coming Civil War. You may recall that book. Mm-hmm. And people said, oh, yeah, right. 
It was a bestseller for a reason. I saw what was coming after Obama. Obama laid the seeds down for a civil war. And like all good Marxists, he laughed all the way to the bank. You know, him and Michelle made hundreds of millions of dollars uh, while professing their, 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 uh, their philosophy, so to speak. So, no, it's not a good time. We're at a bridge. And if Trump wins, there will be more riots initially. But I think at that point, Trump will have the mandate to expand on his federalization, deputization mm -hmm. of police who have been um, neutralized in cities. And the feds will send in maybe DHS. I don't know what. I rely the National Guard. I don't even think that, that governors like Cuomo could tolerate any more mayhem and violence. I think even guys like Newsom are going to have to call out their own National Guard to stop this. Well, we saw, we saw Cuomo's uh, soft spot. The, the soft spot was is when they were saying they wanted to take down the Christopher Columbus statue. And he said, no, 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 this is Italian-American heritage. We're not, you know, we're not touching that. So I'm not saying that Cuomo is... is, uh, is Cuomo will be seen as a right-wing fascist if he stops the riots, okay? That's what they'll call him. Anyone who stands in the way of the revolutionaries is called a Nazi, a fascist. You know that as well as I. Yes. So eventually all the politicians are going to have to stamp, stamp these people out. There's nothing, there's nothing else that will understand the violence. Nothing. Well, Look, can I ask one, one last quick, quick yeah, question? Let's go back in history for okay. a minute. Okay, go back to Eisenhower. He had to call out the, the um, military. Mm -hmm. Go all the way up to the Watts riots. Go up to Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, assassination. The military had to be called out because the cities were burning. And only after people died, died from the National Guard shooting them, did the riots stop. It's the only thing that stops violence. How do you stop a forest fire? By building a fire to stop the fire. Remember that. Mm -hmm. The backstop fire, right? You have right. to build a fire to stop a fire. Wow. The water isn't going to do it. Biden is like you know, a garden hose on this revolution. The, the Biden machine, they're not going to stop it. Only fire will stop this fire. And that's going to come one way or the other, by the way. I think no matter who wins, this revolution that is underway, Josh, this communist revolution that's been long in the making, funded by George Soros and others who have seeded these clouds of hate with millions and millions of dollars, the only thing that will stop it is a, is, is a, uh, a militant reaction from either president, either, either administration. That's the only thing that will stop them because none of them can be, none of them, neither side can control this, this anarchist communist movement. Hmm. Doc, I just want to ask one simple, uh, one last, one last question. Um, uh, fast forward, Trump wins the second term. He's got a mandate to crack in on the riots. That's one aspect. What is the thing that he has to focus on, in your opinion, or issues that he has to focus on, get on the ground running, aside from the riots, day one, second term? Is it China? Is it finishing the wall? Oh, what? no. The economy. It's the, it's the printing of money. The, the country now is bankrupt, fundamentally. The um, deficit is, is as great as the uh, gross national product for the first time since World War II. We have super runaway inflation. The printing of money has to stop. Monetary policy is the key to this. This administration is drunk 
on, uh, frankly, irresponsibility. I've never seen anything like it. Listen, if a Democrat was doing what Trump has been doing, there'd be riots in the streets from so-called ex-fiscal conservatives. It reminds me of King Ludwig II of Bavaria. That didn't end very well for Bavaria nor for King Ludwig II. He bankrupted the Treasury through his vast public spending, in his case, on self-aggrandizement, you know, building palaces for himself. Mm-hmm. But this bailout stuff, the PPP money, the bailouts, the billions that are made by the cronies in the, in the corporate world, this has to stop. You can't print money endlessly. And w- what are we running now? What kind of really inflation, real inflation are we running? Do I know? Does anyone really know? For three months I've been saying, we have inflation. How big is it? 10%? What is the dollar worth today compared to what it was worth in January of 2020? Is it 20% less? 15% less? I don't know. Mm-hmm. How much more do eggs cost? How much more does milk cost? I don't have an answer to that, but I know we have really serious inflation right now, which is why people are running to gold, for example. Right. People intuitively know what's going on, and the value of the printed dollar is getting worse. So my answer is fiscal irresponsibility must stop day one if Trump wins. Now, did he have to do it? Well, you could say to keep the economy going and keep people in, you know, not from going in the gutter and you know, bread lines, he had to do it. But there comes a point that you can't do it. In other words, money is real. Economics are real. You can't get nothing for nothing. So where's the money going to come from? You can't keep printing it. Mm-hmm. So number one, riots. Number two, economics. There's probably three, four, and five, which I haven't thought through. But the number one are the riots and the, and the communist revolution. Number two is the, the fiscal insanity. Mm-hmm. which I call fiscal socialism. I love how all the conservatives who used to scream about fiscal conservatives have disappeared. Mm-hmm. You don't need them screaming anymore, do you? You see how many people on the rights of PPP money? All these all these people yeah. with their fake universities? Yeah, I mean, we talked about that on our last call, and then you talked about it on your show numerous times. Come on, Prager that. University got money? <laughs> exactly. Next day, next day he goes on there and talks about conservatism? I'm giving you one example. I don't know the man from the hole in the wall. He's not alone. You know, all conservatives on paper and then, uh, or, or that website, what was it? Conservative News, uh, CNS, right? Right, Conserv- right. CNS, Mr. Conservative, he got money. They're all full of shit in plain English. So, you know, who do you believe here? How many of them took money? That has to stop. The bailouts have to stop. And, and uh, that's going to really be a hard, a hard one for the country once people realize there's no such thing as a free lunch. And what did someone send me this morning? Why does a mouse get caught in the trap? Or on my, no, on mice and socialism. Why does a mouse get caught in a trap? And the answer was because the mouse doesn't know that cheese isn't free. that's a good one that's good that that answers the question doesn't it it's so good i I got a laugh out of you on a sunday that's nice (laughs) the westwood one podcast network